The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. The long winter is over, and Todd and I are back on the Friday edition of the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast. We are sponsored by Fantrax. Appreciate their sponsorship this season. Great to be back on with you, Todd. It's been too long since we've caught up, man. Looking forward to just getting things rolling again and uh, yeah, talking a little baseball, just a casual back and forth until uh, you know two star pitchers. Then things will have to get serious. Well, Clay, what do you want to talk about? I get that reference. I want to talk about Klubot. No, All right. I, not really, but I do wish him the best. It's not every day of two-time Cy Young winner rides off into the sunset. So uh, good for, for Kluber. But, uh, you know, not a ton of news recently. It's kind of weird that another two-time Cy Young winner, Blake Snell, still in the open market. It seems like kind of been waiting for this last wave of free agents. Um, Scott Boris needs to figure something out. Well, I mean, we can say that, but he's doing his job, and that's just to get the clients the best the best deals, and they all happen to be Scott Boros' clients, so we're all, you know, waiting with bated breath to see where Jordan Montgomery and Blake Snell and Cody Bellinger signed, and then there'll be some residual effects afterwards. There's some great chatter as we're talking the Phillies are supposed to be talking about Kenley Jansen from the Red Sox, which would be interesting. I'm seeing people say that the Phillies, but the Phillies have got four good arms at the end of their pen. I think you need to replace the word good with volatile, uh, you know, and not, not that, not that Jansen is anything less than volatile at this stage of his career too. Right. But, um, true, true. what Oren Keckering is sort of a, I don't know. This is not the you know the, the, the darling of the analysts, right? To see if he can with that sweeper slider. Um, did did Colette write our our, our outlook on him? Probably it, it had Jason's it had Jason's uh, tone to it about the. Uh, so I can when I read our outlooks, and I know that Jason wrote. I read it in his voice. So, but anyway, mm. um, talking about the the most sweep of any sweeper in the league. Well, I'm glad you brought up Kenley because, it, you know, right now we've done so much research and 
so much writing and player outlooks and whatnot, but you know the, the landscape can still drastically change over these next weeks and months. Like everything we think we know now may not uh, be what the situation is like come opening day. And do you think Kenley is traded? And because you know there's Kenley rumored and Devin Williams rumored. I'm kind of wondering who would be the next man up behind Kenley because Chris Martin's really good, but um, he's never really been a closer. 37 now, so I I just don't know who the quote-unquote handcuff is there, if there is one. Part of the the whole, you know, aura with the Red Sox is, all right, they just brought in Theo Epstein, maybe temporary, remains to be seen, but they're, they're still in on Montgomery, in on Snell. They could still make trades. Or they could trade Jansen and trade Jan Durant. I mean, they, they, they're still they're in the middle. They can still go in either a couple directions to find out what's going on there. So the Red Sox nation is, is incredibly frustrated at this point. But I got my I got my four championships in my lifetime, so I'm good. But uh, I can see where that's sort of worn off at this point. A couple last place finishes with the ticket prices, et cetera. People want some results. It'll be interesting to see which direction the Red Sox go in. Over the next couple of uh, over the next couple of weeks, I mean that's what it's going to be at this point. Is a couple of weeks. I've got I got tickets to see him in spring training when we go out for labor in first pitch Florida. I'm not going to go to JetBlue, but I've got tickets on the Friday and the Monday surrounding the conference and labor. So I'm looking forward to that. Absolutely. Well, we got a uh, old friend of the show in the chat, Uncle Ted. He mentioned Prelander Baroa. Great name. Um, and he's looking like an option to close in the stripped-down White Sox bullpen. Definitely named to know. Prelander Baroa. So, Just got yeah, quiet in a trade. Yeah, he was in the uh, Gregory Santos, Santos deal. Right, so right. definitely named to keep an eye on. We all love speculating on saves and, you know, looking in that. I mentioned Devin Williams. I mean, Joel Piamps, it's, it's really hard. I, in our... Uh, First pitch Arizona speakers draft. I did take a chance on Garrett Whitlock in that Boston bullpen as a spec. Uh, saw he's already throwing down in in Florida today, so get an early start on on things. Do you think Whitlock is in the bullpen to stay full time now? Again, depending if the Red Sox sign Montgomery, there's a better chance that Whitlock is in the bullpen. I think he should be. I think he's proven better in the bullpen injury wise, etc and let Tanner Houck be the of the two of them to try to become a starter. Uh, that would be my plan anyway. We shall see. You mentioned Joel Piamps. Um, I, I spent the past week for my own site reviewing or, or, or profiling relievers. And the Brewers, they had four guys that kind of came out of nowhere. And not much nowhere, but, I mean, they, they turned four mad guys into solid bullpen arms. Obi Milner did it the year previous. Uh, Bryce Wilson, Pi Amps, and I'll, the, the fourth name is escaping me, uh, Trevor McGill. Hmm. So, I mean, I don't think – that's not a coincidence. I don't think you – they must be seeing something in these guys in their in, you know, previous teams. And we give Cleveland credit for doing this. We give Tampa credit, San Diego. I wonder if – we don't think about pitching in Milwaukee because of the ballpark – I wonder if we need to start looking at some of these pitchers that Milwaukee picks up and put them in the same group. And I know Stearns is gone and Craig Council has gone, but it, it could go deeper than that as far as the organization goes. I know Ashby's not a pickup, 
but he's is is he someone that maybe we should look at as a is a sleeper? D.L. Hall, who they just traded for. These guys are now, especially in a fifty team draft and hold, they're more on my radar than they may have been before I happen to notice those four relievers, you know, doing really well last year. Abner Uribe getting some love in yeah, the chat. Yeah, and yep, yep, you know, that, yep. that Brewers pitching lab, absolutely. Is, uh, whatever they got going there is some some serious magic they're working there. And D.L. Hall, they got in the Corbin Burns trade. They're looking to give him another chance to start. We'll see if it works. But, uh, yeah, they've kind of become the NL version of the, like the Rays, when you say. just I guess yep. the Dodgers are right there, too, but. Whatever the Brewers are doing with their pitching staff just is working on all fronts. And J- yeah, add Jacob Junis to the watch list. Yeah, Jacob Junis. And that slider that uh, is kind of his trademark. I, I wouldn't put it past the Brewers to, to turn him into something. Right, right. Well, Todd, our latest Rotowire roundtable went up this week, and uh, you, myself, Jeff Erickson, and Eric Halterman each ranking our top 350 players. And. Uh, you know, it's kind of been like the number two spot is rotated throughout <laughs> the off season here, and now it's uh, Julio Rodriguez number two. If you had the number two spot right now, are you taking Julio? No, I don't want the number two spot because <laughs> I want Kyle Tucker, and I can get him mm-hmm. later. Um, you know what? It's so easy to say these sort of things when you don't have when you're not, you know, not so much saddled. But you don't. You're not at the table, and the clock's ticking. I've been mm-hmm. ranking Kyle Tucker second all off season, and I probably would. I would take him second. Okay, if I'm setting my KDS in an NFBC league, I'm not setting it second because I want to get Kyle Tucker fourth, fifth, or sixth. I just it's there's a little bit of of, of of leap of faith here, but if he does exactly what he did the past couple of years, but he hits second or third in the order, he's warranting of that spot. And if he doesn't hit second or third, he's still a top six. I think he was number nine on our on our uh, earned earned values last year. So I just think uh, I don't know. I, I'm a numbers guy, but you, you like to make subjective choices like this as well. So um, that would be my number two guy, and he's been that way all year. Yeah, I have Julio number two, a slight edge over Bobby Witt, but I can see the case for either and you know i can get see your case for tucker as well i have tucker fifth um dusty baker no longer with the team and you know even dusty was starting to come around to batting tucker higher in the order so yeah right uh, i do think tucker will finally kind of have that full well-rounded production that we've always thought he could achieve you've got all right altuve is leading off right the newly signed jose altuve uh you know Jordan alvarez seems best suited for the four hole cleanup then you yeah, got Breg- so. you got Bregman and you got Bregman and you've got Tucker, and at this point, I don't think you can have Jose Abreu in that conversation. I think he has to no. be further down. So it's it, it, the two or three spot. Whether you play matchups lefty righty, whatever you want to put it, uh, Tucker and and Bregman. And there's a lot of uh, Freddie Freeman, Aaron Judge. There's a lot of you know, non-conventional. Maybe maybe now those type of hitters are the conventional hitters. Right? Yeah, that's a good point. We're seeing Yonder Diaz. Uncle Ted says, Diaz, yeah, but he's not going to move to the top four. I don't think. I don't think he should. 
Yeah, you know, that was just something that kind of held Tucker back in the past was him betting strangely low in the lineup, but uh, well, that seems to be a thing of the dust, past. Dusty Bakerly low. If it ain't broke, you know. <laughs> so. Dusty Bakerly low. Yeah, that's a good point. I'll miss Dusty, but um, oh, yeah. you know, all the best to him. I was looking at the roundtable, and Todd, I was a little surprised to see you so low on JT Realmuto. Um between myself, Jeff, and Eric, we're all in the thirty to fifty range. You're all twenty. Yes, you know, I kind of had it in my mind that you've been an advocate for Real Muto in the past and using that valuable draft capital to to get a top catcher like that. But um, do you see pretty drastic signs of decline in Real Muto? I don't think we need to see drastic. I just think we're seeing signs, and he's now at the age where I. You know, we keep saying this. He's not going to run. Well, he ran last year. He took, he lost some sprint speed, but he's just such a great base runner. In the new rules, he was able to take advantage. I think we may be losing some of that. The 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 presently their batting order is so stacked. I think Riomito is going to be moving down in the order a bit. He used to be second and third. I think he's you know now a fifth or sixth hitter, and some of it has to do too with some other catches just being better. It may not even be that that I'm down on Riomito as much as I am, I've got a couple of guys that are pushing up a bit and just the way the, the rankings flesh out, he just gets pushed down, I suppose. But I do think, is it a sign of being wanting to be a year two? I always get this analogy wrong. Is it maybe that I want to be a year too early than a year too late getting off the bandwagon? Yeah. I think there's some of that too. Like I said, if I want to catch her, uh, William Contreras, Will Smith, there are some, there, there are players that I would take ahead of him. So that that pushes him down as well. I see where you're coming from. You know, I'm not completely out, but maybe it is time to get out before things really um, crumble for him. I don't think it's going to be coming imminently, but you never know. It could all that wear and tear could add up and catch up to him in a hurry. Uh, one of the hot button players so far this draft season, Ellie De La Cruz. We already had a De La Cruz mention in the chat, and our Friend of the show, friend of the site, Derek Cardi had a tweet uh, the other day about De La Cruz saying, according to his projection system, the bat and the bat X, he is the most overrated player in drafts right now. So uh, those projections throwing some cold water on Ellie De La Cruz. I thought maybe he was going to say Yoshinobu Yamamoto because it didn't seem like his projection liked him too much. But uh, De La Cruz is... uh, pretty polarizing right now surprisingly you have him a little bit ahead of where i have him ton of uh upside but man there is that downside that he uh ends up back in the in the minors if things go poorly for him are you actually going to be willing to take that chance on de la cruz push come to show i drafted my first i know this is not the answer you're looking for but whatever i drafted my first ever dynasty league from scratch um, I've inherited teams, et cetera, but I've never drafted one from scratch. And I took Dela Cruz in the second round. Wow. And, you know, I, I think I got him, you know, in a place where if it was a redraft, it was fair. But in a dynasty league, when I was, I don't use the word fading, but other people, in the, anytime, I mean, we can talk about this at some points because it's kind of a cool conversation. Anytime you do a, a startup dynasty league, you decide what's your, what's your approach. Are you going to draft Wyatt Langford in the first couple rounds, or are you not, you know, are you going to draft, 
you know, De La Cruz and 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 uh, the uh, Colorado outfielder. Why am I why am I blanking? Because I'm getting old. Uh, oh, um, from Cleveland. No, I know who you're talking. Nolan Jones. Nolan Jones. You know, yeah. So you're gonna draft like jump up these guys maybe half a round from the regular ADP in a, in a dynasty league, or you're gonna draft Wyatt Langford. You're gonna draft some of the up and coming, uh, you know, Jackson Holiday. So I opted to go for the young route. But as far as uh, he he breaks a conventional projection system, and I know. Not everybody uses conventional projection systems, but his MLE translations was just so darn good. And it didn't help that he hit really well when he came up because he didn't have like bad numbers to bring him down. So whenever, if you're using formulaic translations, MLEs, et cetera, you're overriding. It's just how much are you going to override? And then you mm-hmm. talk about the playing time. And yes, you have to factor in he gets cold. The Reds have got a bunch of different movable parts and, he, and, and, and De La Cruz is sent back down. I, I have factored that in, I believe, to my playing time, and the numbers are where they are, and the multiple vision eligibility helps them a little bit. Um, is it a surprise that I'm ahead of this group because I'm usually behind? I think so, but I there's, there's an, I like enough of what I saw. The strikeouts, I think they're fixable. I don't even so much fixable. I just think more reps and it gets better. Some people, you know, it has to be fixable. You're chasing or you're doing something, you know, you're, you can't catch up to heat or whatever it might be, or you're fooled by breakers. I think his strikeouts are just more reps, and I think we'll get them. Yeah, I don't see myself ending up with him just with the way things ended last year for him, the way they were trending. Yeah. It got well, pretty ugly with De La Cruz, but – it's not to say he can't, you know, improve quickly. It's just an incredibly tough game, and there's some some holes in that swing at, at the moment. So um, I think there will always be somebody in the room who, even as a Reds fan, likes him just uh, a little bit more than me. I was looking at that depth chart today, just a lot of fun. I actually kind of forgot that they signed Frankie Montas, too. I was like, oh, yeah. 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 That's kind the of thing- fun. When I, so when, when doing profiles, I, I found a, a certain, I don't know, class of player that I didn't realize existed. And I kind of wrote a little bit about this in the Z Files a little ba- while back. But one of the things, when you think of people striking out a lot at that age, you think they chase. De La Cruz doesn't chase. He, has, he makes terrible contact on the pitches he does chase. I mean, below average contact on those in which he does chase. So it's like, Ellie, you, you don't chase too much. You don't have to worry about that. But, dude... Hit the ones you do chase better. You know, that's kind of mm-hmm. weird to think. And he's not all that aggressive within the zone. He could be, he, you know, this is so easy for me to say on a Friday afternoon in February, you know, one of the best players in the world has to swing at more strikes, you know? <laughs> easy for me to say. But if he if he was a little more aggressive, and that's isn't that just pitch recognition and confidence maybe? So I think maybe that's what it was is, I see the pathways to improve the strikeouts, and I'm a little bit betting on the come that he gets there. Well, let me pause real quick. We'll get back to the roundtable momentarily, but I want to bring you a quick word from our sponsors at Fantrax. Fantrax is the most customizable fantasy platform in the industry, offering the greatest fantasy experience for your dynasty keeper redraft and best ball leagues. Coming from another service, Fantrax makes it easy Fantrax can import any of your current leagues and customize if needed. Fantrax offers the most in-depth player pool in the industry, including minor league players, 
Do you need a customizable commissioner service for your fantasy league? Fantrax offers more customization than any other platform, waivers, categories, scoring system, schedule. Fantrax offers custom solutions for all that and more, and it's all free. Sign up for free today and be entered to win an official MLB signed jersey from MLB The Show cover boy Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Simply go to Fantrax.com slash rotowire and sign up today. That's F-A-N-T-R-A-X dot com slash rotowire Fantrax, the home of fantasy sports. Well, one player who I wanted to mention that's on the rise, Todd, is Edward Julian Um a guy who, you know, with Jorge Polanco traded to Seattle, suddenly becomes uh, freed up in a sense. So uh, Minnesota, you know, I, I don't think what their their offseason has, you know, caught a ton of headlines, but kind of like what they've done, you know, quietly. So uh, now Edward Julian, I think most people expected him to play a little bit, you know, maybe a fair amount, but... Uh, do you think now he's in line for an everyday role? I think I think the amount of extra playing time is being overblown a little bit. I think he needed to feel he was going to play against all right-handed pitching anyway. And yeah. part of that is it would free that up. I think I think Byron Buxton being able to play center is more important for his playing time, Julian's, than the trade of Polanco. Because that now, if if, Pal- if Buxton can play center, there's some time at DH, and at this point, DH may be Julian's best best position. Unfortunately, the, it, on the other hand, you got Kyle Farmer, you've got right-handed platoon options, but they're not good enough that you don't. That I think you need to give Julian some reps, Julian some reps against lefties with such great discipline against right-handed pitching. You got to think that that would at some point translate the same side pitching and he you know he may not be as proficient against right lefties as he is righties but you've got to figure he's got to improve and julian uh julian um is it julian because I'm, I'm, I'm yeah i'm looking I'm at sure. baseball reference okay. i it was to confirm myself it is uh it says here julian so. okay good all right edward, then I will, edward julian because i plan on saying his name a lot so, yeah uh, he's gonna be <laughs> a hot hot player this, yeah. this spring so, I think. so if he gets a little bit better against lefties you know i the numbers can just go through the roof. Um, OBP leagues, points leagues, he's already there. So I think more the Polanco trade, it doesn't it frees up the ability to play against more lefties. So I think in that regard, yeah. But I don't think he goes from I didn't I didn't care about him until I now care about him. I think you should have cared about him heading in. We had a comment on the roundtable about James Outman, and I thought it was kind of interesting because with all that the Dodgers have done already this offseason. Altman just kind of fades into the background or just doesn't really, you know, garner much uh, attention. I don't know. He was off to such a great start early on, then he kind of faded, then he surged back. And 23 homers in the end, um, 16 steals, 248 average. What are your general thoughts on Altman coming off that season? I'm pretty high on him, and he has a lot of the same traits that we just talked about uh, as far as chasing and, and, and not really chasing but not making contact within the zone. He is left-handed, and the Dodgers are deep. Right now, Chris Taylor doesn't have a set spot, so there's potential of some platooning. Alvin didn't started to platoon last year, but he pretty much took the job outright center field and played 151 games. 
Um, so I think that's the plan coming into this year. That loaded lineup, he's hitting the bottom third, which you don't love, but it's that lineup, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> he gets on base hitting seventh or eighth, and who's 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 going to knock him in? Mookie and Freddie and Shohei, you know? So he's going to still score runs down at the bottom. And the Dodgers to score enough runs that he, you know, he gets a decent amount of plate appearance. And you're not paying, you know, third in the lineup cost for Outman. You're paying a commensurate which was being drafted. So I like, and, and I wouldn't be surprised if Eric Haltman and I talk about this tomorrow. <clears throat> uh, we may or may not have recorded our Saturday show already. And because we talked the same way we're here is he was a big, big name on the, uh, on the, on the, on the top 300. Uh, I don't, I'm not paying for the upside, but I don't think you have to in the upsides there. So I don't like to chase upside. I, at that point of the draft, I don't mind chasing it. But to me, he's kind of the guy that you you pay market price, but there's some upside there. Well, last spring, Todd, you were the outspoken Vaughn Grissom guy, at least until Amanda uh, RC. <laughs> I'm just giving you some flack. We all I know, uh, I know, we, I know. we don't bet a thousand. None of us do. But look, once you know, once Arcia took the job, it was obvious that you know Grissom wasn't the guy. Now he's got a fresh start with your Red Sox. I saw you took him in the uh, first pitch Arizona speakers draft. Do you find yourself uh, actually you took him over Julian? Now that I now that I look at it, um, that was probably before the Polanco trade. But do you see yourself loading up on Vaughn Grissom this spring? I don't know about loading up. I'm not. I'm not planning my roster around getting Grissom, but I do think I'm ahead of the market a little bit. And I mean, it's not like I it's not like I jumped him up the ranks where I drafted him either in the in the speakers league. And part of why I took him over Julian is because Grissom should be getting second base shortstop eligibility now. NFBC it takes ten days. You know, rule book definition five days, five games. But still, uh, and I, out of my especially in a draft draft and hold situation like this league was, I like my middle and my corner to have eligibility at either spot, or I like one of my middles and corners to have dual. You know, I, it could be I could be drafting uh, somebody who's got dual eligibility early. You know, as my starter at at some point, just because it, it really the more multiple eligibility guys you get, the more pitchers you can afford to sneak onto your roster. Oh, and this, I don't know what I don't know where the pitchers went, but every time I went to make my pick, there were fewer pitch. I mean, used to, I used to want to keep going in these drafts because there were more pitchers I wanted to draft. Now it's like if I had you know lost contact with the draft at round forty, I I wouldn't have cared. <laughs> Maybe that's on me for not knowing the pool better. But anyway, point being, um, yes, I'm on Grissom. Um, it, it's a little bit betting on the come in that the the contact rate. I don't need him to put it over the wall. I just need him to hit a bunch of balls off that wall and run a little bit. And I think he's going to be here more narrative. I think he's going to be attached to Dustin Pedroia at the, during the spring. And I think his defense, I know Ron Washington's the best infield guru and Wash didn't seem to think that Grissom could cut it. I'd like to see what he can do hanging out with Pedroia for a while. You know, I'm right there with you as far as pitching drying up in this 15 team league. I mean, after I filled my – well, even before I filled my, you know, nine active spots, I was kind of like, man, where am I going to go here? My yeah. reserves in that uh, first pitch speakers league, Brian Abreu is my first reserve. I like him. 
But then, you know, Graham Ashcraft, Anthony DiSclefani, Hayden Wesneski, Michael Lorenzen, Ross Stripling. It's um, gets pretty hairy. It's yeah. pretty hairy. Our friend Jeff Zimmerman, who won this league a couple of years, I, I'm, maybe I'm misquoting, sorry, Jeff, if I am, but he says any pitcher you take in round 40 is a waste. You know, anytime he would do one of these drafts, it would be all yellow in round 30 because after that, he didn't, he didn't, it just they weren't going to play. Mm-hmm. Well, one guy who I saw you take in that league, and if you see the round table, I mean, you uh, – your rank really stands out on Bailey Ober. You have been a Bailey Ober supporter for a while, but it seems like you've kind of gone all in on him this year. Is that the case, or are you still, you know, are you still willing to play chicken with him in drafts? Um, not. I'm not willing to. Well, this is going to sound dumb, but I did a couple drafts that our uh, you know friend and colleague uh, Perry Van Hook organized, and. As you can guess, there were a lot of people that subscribed to my site in those drafts. So I couldn't play chicken because the people knew who I wanted and they like them too. So I, but um, yeah, I'm going to, I don't understand. I, I, I'm at the point now, sometimes I'm ahead of people and it's like, maybe I'm wrong. With, with Ober, I'm like, where? why aren't people up with me? Why aren't people agreeing with me at this point, at least closer to where I am? He's an SP3 for me, and I think that's where I got him in the in the speaker's draft. I'm not going to jump him in as my second starter, but if I can get him as my third or fourth, I'll take it all day. The Twins thought so highly of Ober down the stretch last year that they sent him down to start Dallas Keuchel, which Oof, yeah, that's was right. a heads, heads, and, and not only that, I know Louis Varlin wasn't great; it wasn't perfect, but they were starting Keuchel over Louis Varlin, and I didn't I didn't get that. Um, but I think Ober's got a spot in the rotation. All right, he, he, yeah, he's tall. The repeatability of the delivery is a little bit questionable. He's not overpowering. But all he's done at every level, including the pros, is strike a lot of guys out and not give up walks. And I'm being asked now about home run issues. If you're striking guys out and not giving up walks, I'll take the homers. Target field's hard to hit home runs in. So mm. I, I will I – will, all right, I'm not comparing them to Kurt Schilling. Uh pitching style anyway but that you know that Schilling would win a lot of games you know four to three and give up three single homers you know that's just that's mm. just the way it was so I do I love the home run issues no but I will take a fly ball pitcher in a park of that nature because the fly balls especially if Byron Buxton is healthy the the fly balls will be caught yeah, I, I'm a little skeptical about Buxton returning to uh, Central. I am too. But, I am too. Yeah, I am we'll too. see if it happens. Um, At least full time. Yeah, full time seems like a little bit of a stretch. Um, one guy who surged last year, now being drafted inside the top 100, uh, Kyle Bradish of the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, you're the low man on him on the round table, not dramatically low on him, but. Um, you know, he's going to be one of the tougher guys because he seems like after that, he's kind of had a, a tear break after, at least in my opinion, after the, uh, you know, Logan Gilberts, Eflins, Peralta of the world. Um, seems like people are, you know, willing to push him up into that next tier. Uh, I don't I don't hate it, but I think I'd rather have a guy like Cody Sanga. I don't know. I just, I don't really see myself... Uh, Paying that price, I don't know on on uh, Bradish, even though I'm technically the high man on him. 
in the, yeah. among these four? I think if you, and I talked about this when I wrote about the round table, if you look at my raw rank, you're going to find that I'm lower on a lot of pitchers. But if you look among the pitchers, I just, I'm ranking pitchers a little lower in general. But if you just look at the group of starting pitchers, I mean, I think we may have Bradish ranked like our 18th starter, our 16th starter. We may be, uh, we may be closer than we, if we just look at the raw ranks. You know, all right, all right acquiring um, Corbin Burns. All right, so the, the second game of the year, Bradish faces the number two. That, that evens out very quickly. And I hear people say, well, now Bradish gets to match up against a lesser pitcher. That evens out real quick. So to me, that's really much of a consideration. To me, what's a little odd is I'm higher on pitchers that Logan Webb, Aaron Nola, that I trust their ratios, but they don't get the strikeouts. NFBC loves strikeouts. They just push oh, yeah. strikeouts up. They And, and rightfully so, I, I must say. So Bradish is the kind of guy that I normally would be higher on just because he doesn't get the strikeouts. But he trusts the trust the ratios, so. Um, but I think I think when you're saying he's at the point where all the strikeout guys are gone, so now people start looking for ratio guys, which maybe why Bradish is, is there. Bradish is there. Although you said Senga, Senga's a strikeout guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I'd probably push push up the guy who gets the K's. Although, yeah, Bradish was uh, really good last year, and he, I, I believe in the skills. It's just. I think I'd rather supplement the K's at that stage. I think a lot of people, and this maybe this is right too, or the right approach, I think they want to see it one more year out of Bradish. You know, the Missouri, show me one more time. I mean, he kind of did it the previous year, but if you're going to trust a guy without the dominance, and I mean, he doesn't walk anybody, which is fine, but if you're going to trust a guy without the dominance, you, you want to see it one more year. Because a lot of times they defeat their peripherals until they don't. And we're learning more and more. Nick Pollock, pitcher list is giving us a lot of uh, great stuff to look at. That part of that was we didn't know what to look at before. Now we know why they're beating their peripherals, and we can trust them a little bit earlier. Uh, I don't. I think Bradish is still some skepticism as far as do I want to draft a guy that high who's only done it for one year? And some people think he was lucky. One guy that you're uh, relatively high on here in the round table, and I'm a little surprised to see it, Evan Carter of Texas. We saw him you know, have that great run in the postseason. Only 21 years old. Uh, man, it's, it's pretty crazy what he did at 20 last year. Do your uh, translations, are they really glowing for oh, yeah. Carter, or is there something else? He's another guy that broke the system, and you have to just calm him down. And mm. how far where how far are we going to calm him down? Uh, another lefty hitter, uh, cruising my my profile really quick. Um, I don't I don't know. I think part of what I see with Carter is he can run, but he didn't run a lot last year. And I know Texas. I mean, they they didn't run a lot, but they didn't have to because they were so fortuitous with runners on scoring position, run, run, batting average runners in scoring position. I think they're just organically going to score fewer runs, so I think they may run a little bit more. Um, and now, I mean, we're, I was just about to say it, we're seeing the, uh, the, 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 the note about Carter hitting lefties. Uh, I Again, I just think it's someone that needs more reps. And I think he plays good enough defense, and Texas's lineup is such that – I think you need to see if Carter can learn to hit. The only way you learn to hit lefties better 
is by doing it. You don't learn a triple A. That's not a skill. I don't think you can learn a triple A because I think you can handle triple A lefties and then get it's an old new ball game. I think Carter is talented such that you need to see if he can do it. I think we were saying a lot of the things about Corbin Carroll. I think we're going to, a lot of people are going to be comparing Carter to Carroll. Why am I talking so fast? I don't know. <laughs> um, hey, I'm excited. I'm excited. Too. I'm excited. Baseball season. Yeah. Um, I think, and I, didn't even, I don't have caffeine. I don't do caffeine. Anyway, natural high. I think a lot of people are going to be comparing Carter to Carroll in a lot of different, I don't know if it's a, a, a just comparison, but they're kind of similar. Lefties and coming up, hot prospects. I do see some, I, I, I see pathways for Carter to improve his deficiencies. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. And yeah, he's a very interesting young player. By the way, Corey Seager with that sports hernia surgery. We'll see if he's uh, ready for opening day. That's the hope. But uh, yeah, it seems like not a sure thing that he'll be ready to go right away. So some more health troubles for Seager. Right. Now, one should have already had some injury concerns with Seager. Oh, yeah. So totally. This is kind of with Walker Bueller in that I'm seeing people, oh, I'm dropping him down. If, you, if you're dropping Seager and you're dropping Bueller down your ranking significantly, a little bit short, you probably didn't bake in enough injury risk coming into the season. I mean, Seager, he's just so darn good. We, we forget about the fact he played like half a year last year. All right, he played within that half a year. He had a season's worth of numbers for, for more than half the league. But he has injury concerns, Corey Seager. Um, I, did, I think I had him for 138 games coming in. So my – all right, you know what? I'm going to leave him here, and if things look worse in the spring, I'll drop him. But I thought 138 kind of accounted for being a little bit missing the first couple of weeks. And Bueller, I had him for like 22 or 24 starts anyway, so I didn't feel the need to drop him uh, based on this news. I just felt that the Dodgers were going to give him time off. I didn't know if it was April or around the All-Star break or whatever. So I didn't really drop Bueller, but again, if it looks something going on, I'll drop him more. Yeah, they are pretty much already saying he's not going to be ready to go on opening day. So uh, we'll see what they what their plan is to manage Bueller coming off Tommy John. Uh, one guy who's a tough rank this year. You and I are actually real close on him though in the roundtable, only two spots apart. On Xander Bogarts, we were doing the first pitch speakers draft. I took him. Kind of had some instant remorse when I when I took Bogarts in the let's see the seventh round, but then I talked myself back into it because man, he really could not have been any more unlucky when it comes to hitting with runners on base and, and scoring position last year. It was just weirdly fluky that RBI total and you know first player in a new play or first year in a new place off the big contract. Um, Am I kind of just talking myself into it, or, or am I on the right path here with Bogarts? I think we've seen Bogarts' floor. I don't think he's going to get worse than he was. And I do think there's pathways to get better. His line drive rate was very low, and I think that just organically going to get better. Uh, maybe this is from seeing him more than, than number scouting, stat cast, et cetera, but his hard hit rate has never been very good. But he's got such great plate coverage. He would just 
you know, serve the ball, serve little, you know, humpback liners into right field and, and, you know, hit better than his peripherals. I don't know. And then, you know, turn on him, turn on the inside fastball and put it over the wall. Petco Park's different. I think Bogart just needs to get a little bit more confident, just be himself in that park. And I think we'll see improvements. Maybe he runs a little more. Who knows? Would San Diego at this point, new manager, we'll see what they do. He can run a little more. I like the fact they're talking about a potential position change for him. Although hmm. the fact they're talking about second base and not third or first, I don't, I don't know. Maybe you can hide the deficiencies better at second. I don't know. But uh, Hunsu Kim is, is a better fielder right now. It should be at shortstop. But I, I like Bogart's where I like him at his market price. I'm not chasing him, but I think you did fine. I think he's fine at his market price. And one of the things about the shortstop, I don't know how many drafts you've done. It is so strong at the top, but compared to the past couple of years, it's not as, it's not as deep as it's been. So Bogarts yeah. is in that Dansby Swanson tier where, you know what? You, you, you better get him because you're not going to like some of the choices later. If you happen to, Oh, shortstop's deep. I'm, I don't need one of the top guys. It's not as deep as it's been in the past couple of years. And that's weird to say because it's shortstop, you know, but uh, yeah. which is never deep, but it has been deep lately. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I was a little surprised how much the bad X liked uh, Swanson, although not, you know, wasn't completely floored, but, uh, you know, bad X drops. That's going to shake up the market a little bit, and it seems like, you know, right now, Swanson's a pretty nice target until uh, inevitably that price uh, ticks up. Well, Todd, really uh, appreciate your work on the roundtable, and definitely check that out. I, I ask that you, you know, support that. Also, we have um, ATC projections now on the site if you want another uh, perspective on the player pool. I want to kind of broaden our discussion to, to end this thing and just kind of talk about some more general topics. Like, I guess I'm wondering at this stage, you know, it's still, I think we're about two-thirds of the way through the off season. You and I have done a lot of writing, a lot of research. What's the, your current stage like what are you what are you doing now is the next step in your prep for 2024 i am just about wrapping up i, I kind of alluded to them earlier my own site profiles i write them for rotowire i do some stuff for espn and i have to fill in and do my own stuff 
I'm just about done with those. I've done very little drafting. I've done, I've done uh, the Speakers League, and then a couple of Perry Van Hooks leagues, and right now that's about it. I need to start. I mean, just for my own fun, this is what I like. Uh, Underdog, some of the best balls is is next up on the agenda. Some uh, cut lines, some draft champions. Um, I'm you know I don't do as much high stakes anymore. I'm going to do the RotoWire online. But I don't do the the really high stakes anymore. TGFBI and NERF are really important to me, and those are coming up. I know you obviously do TGFBI. Are you in any of the uh, Earth leagues? No, I was considering that, but um, couldn't make the trip to Chicago the the year that it was launching. Right. I think for people that are unaware, uh, there's a series of industry leagues, not just industry, just anybody who wants to join in the area. Uh, it started out BARF, Bay Area Rotisserie Fantasy, with, with Lar Michaels it, 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 up, make, making up the name. Eno was in the league and a lot of San Francisco Bay Area people. Next came New England Rotisserie Fantasy, and the trophy was named after Lar Michaels, our friend Chris Marr, Baseball Pods. I wonder if he'll actually mention this pod. He doesn't mention my pods. Maybe now that I'm actually talking about Chris, uh, that, that he'll, he'll review this pod. Chris, Baseball Pods, Chris Marr, our mayor. So anyway, the point being, um, uh, the New England history, I, I won the league the first year we had the trophy. I was kind of happy about that. And uh, that draft is coming up in a couple weeks. Our Eric Halterman colleague is headed to Glarf this weekend, uh, the Great Lakes uh, area, rotisserie fantasy. Oh, cool. they're, they're all over the place. But anyway, um, so yeah, as far as my own work goes, I uh, now's the fun, now's the time where I need to start thinking of different, you know, topics to help people win their leagues down the stretch. And with so much good work out there, it's becoming more difficult to be unique, to stay, you know, to write unicorn-type material. But I'll, I'll, I'll think of some. I got a piece coming out uh, over the weekend for Rotowire where I, I I turn – we talk a lot about park factors, and this was emanated from Corbin Burns going from Milwaukee to Baltimore and how much will the division change him. So I've got a piece. I'm actually quantifying the division change in terms of ERA. What 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 would his ERA have been? Not from the park, but from the opponents that he faced in Milwaukee versus Baltimore. Uh, Spoiler alert: the park has a bigger effect. But that should be coming up sometime over the weekend. Um, So uh, more drafts, especially draft and hold. Um, I've used this joke ad nauseum. My two favorite things: drafting and doing nothing. Mm-hmm. And then uh, getting ready for uh, they're coming to get me again. Maybe you got the, the first uh, alarms of the, of the news. Well, season. no, I've been hitting mute a lot, so that was the first <laughs> okay. one that I that actually when I was talking. <clears throat> what do you uh you know what 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 uh what does Clay link up to as far as prep and and, and, and play goes? Well, actually, it just so happens that today is a big uh, deadline day for one of our projects here, so. You know, I'm looking forward to that being behind us. And now, you know, I know I have a pretty good idea of who I like in the pool. Now it's trying to figure out, well, it's, it's battle testing and trying to figure out how the pieces come together, um, how to make the pieces fit. I also think it's, and you, you may disagree with me on this, I think it's important to learn the market. And, you know, oh, I have the, my stuff. Some people say, you know, don't pay attention to it, but I think, part of the game is kind of leveraging the market and, you know, obviously finding out who you like more than normal and trying to, to plot things out. I like to be flexible in drafts, but I think you want to have a good idea of 
of how the pieces will fit and, you know, who you can wait on teardrops at, at certain positions and, you know, the best way to make the pieces come together, not just who you like, uh, you know, straight down a list. No, for sure. And you, you kind of alluded to ADP chicken before. I think it was with, with Ober. You you don't want to you don't want to do a whole draft. You know, I know I can get this guy then I can get that guy then, you know, because sometimes if it doesn't work out. But absolutely. There are you, you need to know the market or at least have an idea of it. And now, you know, a lot of our stuff is NFBC. Unfortunately, there is the NFBC ADP. So that's there. Uh, you know, home leagues, non NFBC leagues, it's a little more difficult. But I mean, opinions are opinions, and you usually can get a good feel for it if you don't happen to play high stakes. You can you can get a good feel for your home league how they're going to treat things, at least enough that on a couple of three players, you know, you can get at a discounted price or a discounted round. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, I just think it's. Um, you know, it's a game of, of putting the pieces together. It's not just, you know, the, the player evaluation. It's, and it's always a moving target, of course. So, um, you know, it's, it's a puzzle that is extremely tough and, and complex to put together. And, you know, we're all, we're all trying to, to gain an edge. And uh, it's, it's becoming tougher and tougher to define that edge as, the uh, fantasy baseball public becomes smarter and smarter. I was also looking at some drafts from last year, Todd, and I got to tell you, just doing some self-evaluation, especially in the 15-team leagues, the 12-teamers are, are easier, of course, but 15-team uh, leagues, man, my reserve picks in recent years have not been so hot. Um, I think that's the case for a lot of people in the end game. You know, your picks are, are not going to pan out a lot of the time, but... I want to be able to hit on more of those guys late to uh, supplement my team. Yeah, we didn't get to do it this year. I think I talked about a league that I'd been in with Derek Van Riper, our friend and colleague, uh, in the past. And one of the things we would do is we'd go over last year's team. And, you know, it was it was a funny afternoon every year. It's just like, what were we thinking? <laughs> yeah, you know? I do that, too. It's like, what the what hell? What were we thinking? Now, this league didn't draft <laughs> this year. We kind of missed it. But – you know, even so, but no, I know, so I know exactly what you mean. It's like at the time you thought you were winning the league with that 17th round pick. Yeah. I thought it was like <laughs> had the secret sauce, you know, yeah. with that one guy. So like. One thing we have to keep in mind is it's not like every other people, person in the league is, is crushing those picks. Exactly. But, exactly. But if you get two or three more than everybody else, then, you know, that's it. You know, yeah. we, we, if you just get a couple that hit, yeah. It's huge we were, for your team. We were talking about our how we felt about the pitching pool in our uh, Arizona Fall Leagues League. Well, everybody's looking at the same player. I mean, it's not like I'm not drafting any pitches that are good. No one is. You know? <laughs> so you have to, we do have to keep that in mind. And I, I do believe Jeff and Jeff Zerman's advice in that don't don't wait on you know take Yellow Brook Road in that in round thirty. Get get your comfortable maybe take chances in the forties, but get what you feel is your best pitchers done by round 39 because they're just not going to be there. But, um, mm-hmm. and I'm kind of, I don't want to say I'm not, I'm saying, I want to say, I'm not going to say I'm glad Jeff's not in the league. I'd love being in a league with Jeff because he's such a, a smart and, and you always, know, you know, I was, what's Zimmerman doing in this draft? 
But I haven't done well in this draft, so I'm kind of glad Jeff's not in it. It gives me a little better chance. Yeah, he always whips whips me in, in leagues, and <laughs> the guy's just a, a machine. I did beat him in a Rotowire Online Championship last year, which was wow, kind of... Really? Yeah, yeah. Nice. Shout out to uh, Jeff and Tanner and the process. They, yeah, yeah. They know their stuff, that's for sure. Yeah, I've just, over the years, you know, with evaluating my own team and evaluating the best of the best, you know, it it does seem like the really good players, they have the guys they like in the end game, and they hit on a few. And as well as I think I know the pool, it's it's very hard to do in the late rounds of a, you know, the reserve rounds of a 15-team league. Uh, looking at the guys I drafted in that recent draft, uh, Matt Veerling. I like that. I do. You do? Oh, absolutely. I like that a lot. I mean, he's got dual eligibility, which is nice. We're going to talk about him on the uh, on the MLB Network radio show tomorrow. He's one nice. of my, uh, you know, we call them sleeper, but it's more of the out, outside of the top 50 that you like, and Veerling was in there for me. Well, that's reassuring to hear because I, I feel like that's when I could look back on and say, uh, what was I thinking? Uh, Mason Wynn could fit that mold. Uh, we'll see. Rowdy Telez, Pete Crow Armstrong. I guess I just need to, I need to figure out who those guys are because the the draft, you know, filling your active spots is kind of something you you know I'm used to with that dance. But then having those guys late and having your preferences there, I think is is really key and something I need to do a better job of. Um, Instead of just kind of, eh, yeah, I'll take a shot on this guy. Well, it, actually, yeah, having yeah. targets in that in those reserve rounds. Yeah, in the draft and hold, it's not like all right. If um, if Crow Armstrong gets sent down, I'll just replace him. You know, he. Yeah. I don't want to say stuck with him, but you you got Luis Matos like four or five rounds later, yeah. and since this draft, I believe it's. I mean, who knows if it's going to come to fruition. But Matos is supposed to be the starter. Of course, you got Akil Badu several rounds later, and since the draft, he's probably going to start at AAA. Yeah, so it goes, mm-hmm. it goes both ways, right? Um, so yeah, that's a he, that's a draft and hold for you, yeah. No, no, exactly. I mean, uh, some of the guys I like as far as draft and hold, I don't I don't mind the platoon type players because I think that you can use. I didn't get a ton of them. In this particular draft, but those are the, especially in the outfield, Jock Peterson, uh, players like that, where you can use maybe once a week because there's three or four, there's three righties in a in a in a in a transaction period. I, I didn't happen to get a lot of those in this particular draft, but those are the kind of guys, Mike Yastrzemski. Those are the kind of guys I look for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, now it's you know I feel like I have a pretty good handle on. On the top of the pool now, I got to find my preferences late, which is a lot easier said than done. One guy who I did not expect to end up with in this draft was T.J. Friedel. I've <laughs> always been the low man on him, but uh, and it did, it does seem pretty clear that he overperformed his power numbers last year. But uh, you know, I needed some speed and I needed an outfielder. I only had George Springer at that point, so twelfth uh, round I took the plunge on Friedel. But I don't expect to be doing that very often we i think we talked about it maybe on the radio or podcast earlier in the year but 
You took Show. I mean, we didn't talk about this, but we, we talked about Shohei Otani in a, a, for the roundtable. You took him twelfth, and to me, there's some, there's some. I mean, he could be number five, you know. So there's definitely reward, but mm-hmm. clogging UT that early, is he going to get ten games in the outfield? Maybe, but not, not early enough that it should be, make a, di- a big difference. I think there's a lot of. I think there's enough, and, and Eric Halterman from the round table, sort of the, the lead voice on the risk for Otani, wrote a piece on it. Um, I, to me, that's – other. I mean, Juan Soto, two picks later. I kind of I, – I, I would prefer that, to be honest. You know, I'm a little surprised to see the general drafting public so low on Otani. It, that injury didn't seem to affect his hitting much last year. Maybe it's you know in part because you know you don't have that option to deploy him as a as a pitcher this year, but I've kind of been treating him as a hitter in my mind for years now. So well, it's it's the rehab it's the rehabbing the injury while hitting. I don't think it's so much affecting him, but he's still going to be he's still rehabbing to pitch again, and I think that's the bigger concern. That's and, true. And as Eric points out, credit where credits due, Otani and others are a little slow out of the box after this rehabbing from this injury, uh, Tommy John. So I think there's an, I think there's an, there, there's risk, but we all know that if none of this matters, he could be the fifth best player, the sixth best player. You don't usually get upside from the 12th pick. There's upside there. And he's also kind of, well, I guess Jose Ramirez, but I felt like he was kind of the last guy who was, Really going to run a lot. I mean, Ramirez should run enough too, but yeah, yeah. Um, you know, Judge, Harper, Jordan. I just felt like, okay, yeah, he's plugging up the UT, but I really like to get a speed base early, and uh, I probably didn't well, add enough speed there. But we'll you mentioned see. Harper. Now I'm thinking. Remember, remember, remember. One of the things with Harper early when he came back is he couldn't slide. Because oh, the yeah, slide, the slide could disrupt this, you know, could hurt the elbow. I don't. It may be a different elbow, and the way you slide may be different. But I wonder if that's part, if that's going to come into play with Otani, and that he can't slide because mm-hmm. uh, afraid. Of, you know, at least early. I mean, Harper was it, it, over time. Harper was fine, but early on, I wonder if that's going to uh, matter. And you know, it, as far as running goes, I. Are the do they need do you need Otani to run as much with the Dodgers? I you think, don't, you, but it didn't stop Freeman. Yeah, it's, it, didn't, it didn't stop. It's kind of part of his game, you know. Yeah, it's, so I think that's less of an argument because I think maybe that's why the lineup is so good is because Dave Roberts lets them do what they're good at. Absolutely. Well, I can't wait to continue talking through this in the weeks and months to come. Every Friday, the Podcast is back full steam ahead, uh, seven days a week. So, you know, shout out to James for keeping the lights on in the off season, and thanks for all the the work you've done. Kind of, you know, it, behind the scenes with a, pumping out a lot of copy and a lot of great analysis that you may not have your name attached to, you know, on the site, but a lot of outlooks, a lot of great work. So, thanks for all you're doing, and uh, can't wait to talk again next week, Todd. Yeah, I'm not going away for a few more weeks. I'm going to be in Florida for a week. We'll, you have to find a replacement. Oh, right, right, right. But we'll, we'll, we got a couple more weeks of this uh, 
what do you want to talk about stuff going on we'll be good we'll uh hopefully within the next couple weeks we'll be talking about these moves that we didn't talk about today yeah and i can't wait to see you down in well up in times square in a few few weeks and uh yeah i can't wait for this draft season we're gonna do it big and uh hope you'll join us for the ride we'll be doing this every friday until gosh what october they tell us not they tell us not to do anymore (laughs) absolutely well thanks so much for your insight todd thanks for all for hanging out with us and hope you'll join us next week on the rotowire fantasy baseball podcast brought to you by fan tracks Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? I'm Kat, founder of Ritual. We're making traceability the new standard for the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I couldn't find a multivitamin I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested, and clean label project certified. Oh, and our vitamin D3? It comes from sustainably harvested lichen from England, not sheep. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast.